0: And thank you for that. I hope that that will, when we finish the service, that will be our mindset. Our hearts will be drawn to those very words and that truth about our wonderful Savior. Take your Bibles this morning, if you would turn to John chapter 18. And while you're turning, we'll dismiss the children, four years old, to fourth grade. If you want to head on out for your service, make sure you pray for our children as you see them head out. We are in a battle for their minds and their hearts. We want them to come to Christ. This is an important part of that. John chapter 18. We have not been in the gospel of John for a number of weeks now, and so uh, we'll try to give you the whirlwind catch-up tour. Uh, For those of you who are visiting, we've been in the book of John for a while. We are here now at the trial of Jesus before Pilate, and uh, so I'll give you the the quick rundown. Jesus has spent intimate time with his 11 disciples in the upper room, what, what we call the Last Supper, and then on their way to the Garden of Gethsemane. Judas, who left during supper, has gone out and betrayed Jesus and has come with a band of anywhere from 400 to 1,000 soldiers and priests and guards, and they've come to arrest Jesus in the Garden. Jesus declares his power in the Garden uh, during his arrest when he asks, "'Whom do you seek?' And they said, Jesus, and he says, I am. And when he says that, they all fall down to the ground and get back up. And he asks the question again. And he says, let these go as he looks out for his disciples. Of course, Peter takes a sword out and cuts off a servant's ear. Jesus heals that servant right there on the spot and restores his ear. Jesus now is taken bound to the high priest. And at this mock trial in front of the priest in the middle of the night, was totally illegal by Jewish standards. It was a total violation of true jurisprudence in every way. They seek false witnesses since they don't have any charge against him. They can't find any. And finally, they trump up a charge that Jesus has said, I will rebuild the temple. And we read that in Matthew chapter 26. The, the high priest is questioning Jesus, it says that Jesus held his peace, and the high priest answered and said unto him, I adjure thee by the living God that thou tell us whether thou be the Christ, the Son of God. The priest is trying to make Jesus incriminate himself somehow, somehow uh, perform blasphemy. And Jesus gives them, in a sense, what they're looking for. In verse 64 of Matthew 26, he says, Thou hast said, Nevertheless, I say unto you, Hither shall ye see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power, in the clouds and coming in the clouds of heaven and in a display of total hypocrisy the high priest tears his garments and condemns jesus to death during this time of course we saw peter betraying jesus three times but i just want to remind you of the the larger picture of the time frame The time between John chapter 12, which is the triumphal entry, and John chapter 18 is only a matter of days, not even a full week. In John chapter 12, Jesus rides into Jerusalem and people are shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. And they're lifting him up and they would make him their king. And then by the end of John 18 today, we'll see that they're saying, we don't want this man, give us Barabbas. Quite a change in the crowd this week less than a week has transpired of course we were in john chapter 12 in may of 2021 all right there's so much packed into those chapters that jesus would teach us who he is what a true believer is the kingdom of heaven the work of salvation wonderful wonderful passages of scripture so what is the immediate context let's look at the passage here John 18, if you'll come down to verse 38, excuse me, John 28, John 18, 28, we'll read uh, from there. It says, Then led they Jesus from Caiaphas into the hall of judgment, and it was early, about six o'clock in the morning. And they themselves went not into the judgment hall, lest they should be defiled, but that they might eat the Passover. Pilate then went out unto them and said, What accusation bring ye against this man? They answered and said unto him, If he were not a malefactor, we would not have delivered him up unto thee. Then said Pilate unto them, Take ye him, and judge him according to your law. The Jews therefore said unto him, It is not lawful for us to put any man to death, that the saying of Jesus might be fulfilled which he spoke, signifying what death he should die. Then Pilate entered into the judgment hall again and called Jesus and said unto him, Art thou the king of the Jews? Jesus answered him, Sayest thou this thing of thyself, or did others tell it thee of me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Thine own nation and the chief priests have delivered thee unto me. What hast thou done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now is my kingdom not from hence. Pilate therefore said unto him, Art thou a king then? Jesus answered, Thou sayest that I am a king? To this end was I born, and for this cause came I into the world, that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone that is of the truth heareth my voice. Pilate said unto him, What is truth? And when he had said this, he went out again unto the Jews and said unto them, I find in him no fault at all. But ye have a custom that I should release unto you one, of the pa- one at the Passover. Will ye therefore that I release unto you the king of the Jews? Then cried they all again, saying, Not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. We'll leave off our reading there this morning. Jesus is now being taken before Pilate. Jesus hasn't slept between the Last Supper he has gone to the garden. It says there that he was so grieved physically that he sweat drops of blood as he prayed before the Father. And that prayer where he says, if this cup can be taken from me, so be it. If not, not my will, but thine be done. And this, if you think about the physical exhaustion that Jesus is going through, and then he's taken by these soldiers to Caiaphas's house, the high priest. And there he stands before Annas and Caiaphas, and he's beaten in the face, and he spit on. The Jews are passionate about one thing. When I say the Jews, the religious leaders here are passionate about one thing, and they want to kill Jesus. Matthew 27 says that it was early in the morning when he was there at Caiaphas' house and the cock was crowing. They say that it's about 3 a.m., and then by the time they get to Pilate, it's about 6 p.m. I thought an interesting side note that A.W. Pink makes in his commentary. He says this, His disciples could not watch with him one hour. His enemies had acted against him all through the night. Alas, man has more zeal and energy because of more heart for that which is evil than that which is good. He goes on, he says, the same people who will listen untired half a day to a political discussion or sit three hours through an opera complain that the preacher is long-winded if he spends the whole hour expounding the word of God. (laughs) So there I've set you up for a long sermon. There is truth to it. I saw a Facebook post this week that confronted parents who will spend their entire summer running their children from soccer to music to tutoring to VBS and a hundred different things until they are completely exhausted. Yet when it comes taking the family to church, it becomes a matter of inconvenience. All right, that was free. <clears throat> Look at Jesus here. Jesus is tired. He is hungry. He is exhausted. They're, remember, they just requested from Pilate the night before for this legion of soldiers, this this garrison of soldiers to go with him. And so Pilate is probably expecting to receive a zealot, a revolutionary. And when they bring Jesus before Pilate, I'm sure it was somewhat anticlimactic as they found a man who was not trying to you know, get a rabble forward and, and throw off the Roman Empire or throw off the Jewish leadership, even. And as they present Jesus to Pilate, he's bruised, he's got spit running off of his beard horrible treatment of the meek lowly humble loving savior in fact they were beating him and saying prophesy who hit you who hit you tell us if you are the christ and it brings out to us the hypocrisy of religion the hypocrisy of religion is As opposed to a real relationship with Jesus Christ. Here we have one of the most disgusting displays of religious hypocrisy, and it should totally offend us, and yet it should also challenge us. John chapter 18 and verse 28 it says, They led Jesus from Caiaphas unto the hall of judgment, and it was early, and they themselves went not into the judgment hall because they didn't want to defile themselves so they could eat the Passover. The same people who had just performed an illegal trial sought false testimony, accused Jesus falsely, beat a bound prisoner, spit on his face. They didn't want want to violate Jewish law that said you couldn't go into a Gentile's house on the Passover. They are fastidiously careful about not walking across a threshold and making themselves unclean to eat the Passover dinner that night. False religion is all about keeping little details that I deem important while totally ignoring the purpose and deeper issues of that relationship. And let's not be so quick to move past this verse. If we're not careful ourselves, it is easy to be diligent in keeping externals and an external routine and an appearance of spirituality passionately removing ourselves and condemning the actions of gross worldliness while at the same time rotting away on the inside and having a heart far from Christ. If you want to turn there, Matthew chapter 23, Jesus gives a strong rebuke to these Pharisees, a very strong rebuke, and he confronts this very issue that they were so careful on these finer points of not even, not, not even at times biblical law, but what they had created around the law. Matthew 23, verse 23, Jesus says, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin, and have omitted the weightier matters of the law, judgment, mercy, and faith. These ought ye to have done, and not to leave the other undone. So look what he's saying. He's saying here, you you'll actually take your mint leaves and you'll push out a certain portion and you'll tithe that and and cumin, which is a very fine spice, you'll take out 10% and you'll stress out over the little things here. And yet when it comes to mercy and judgment and the characteristics of our Lord, you don't care about those things. He says you should tithe, but don't tithe to the expense of virtue and living out this relationship with your heavenly father. Verse 24, he says, "Ye blind guides, ye strain at a gnat and swallow a camel, right? I mean, what a picture there. You, you got that little bug in your drink and you're trying to get it out while choking, you know, on a large palmetto bug or something, right? I mean, <laughs> we don't have a camel bug, but... <clears throat> Woe unto you scribes and Pharisees, he says in verse 25, Hypocrites! For ye may clean the outside of the cup and of the platter, but within they are full of extortion and excess. Thou blind Pharisee, cleanse first that which is within the cup and platter, that the outside of them may be clean also. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye are like unto whited sepulchers, which indeed appear beautiful outward, but are within full of dead men's bones and of all uncleanness. Even so, ye also outwardly appear righteous unto men, but within you are full of hypocrisy and iniquity. Listen, we better be careful. It's easy for us to point our finger and say, oh, the world, and yet neglect being right with Jesus Christ internally. By the way, Jesus is not saying don't clean the outside of the cup, don't strain the gnat out of your drink. He's saying do those things, but those things come naturally when you first focus on your relationship with Jesus Christ. We've asked it many times, why are you here? Why are you here this morning? Some of you are here on vacation, I commend you for that. Why are you here? Are we here to keep up appearances? Are we here because it's just a pastime? Are we here uh, because, you know, we need to get out of the house? Or are you here because you love the Savior and you rejoice to be with God's people around God's word? You rejoice to know the truth and to live it. And actually, as you come and sing, you sing praise to the Lord, the Almighty. You say, yes, I know that Christ is in control. Some things this week did not go in a way that looks that way, but yet I know the truth. God's word has stated he's in control. He's the king of creation. He will bring all things to his intended end. And God, I'm going to praise you for that. Sometimes I can't see it, but I know the truth. And so I will praise you. Is that why you came? I mean, you didn't even know the song. How, we, why are we here? When the instrumentalists play, I hope that you read those words and allow those words to filter down through your mind and into your heart. And your heart can respond with active testimony. Right? Have you ever sat through a testimony service and you tried to dig up something from like a year ago? Why don't we have active testimonies in our heart today? Is Jesus a part of our daily living? We can become quick. Quickly we can become hypocrites. A.W. Pink said this. What proof was this? Of the worthlessness of religion when it has failed to influence the heart. I mean, these men are engaging in the vilest and most hateful thing that has ever taken place on planet Earth, and yet took great precaution not to defile themselves. He goes on and says The rulers of the Jews and the multitude that followed them were thoroughly ritualists. It was their ritualism that urged them to crucify the Son of God. Christ and ritualism are opposed to each other as light and darkness he goes on to say the cross and the crucifix cannot agree either ritualism will banish Christ or Christ will banish ritualism Why are you here? we should take this to heart remember the warning that Paul gives to Timothy he says in the last days perilous times will come there will come men who are lovers of pleasures more than lovers of themselves or lovers of themselves of Pleasure more than lovers of God. And then he goes on, he says, Having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof, he says, from such turn away. Listen, sometimes we're just so eager for somebody out there to say the name Jesus that we'll just take anything as, as good and right. I hope you're discerning. I hope that what you have to say about Jesus Christ generates not from something that you learned on paper, but something that you know to be true in your heart. Our hearts don't determine truth, but when we're right with God, our hearts experience truth. How does this translate? It means that in 20th century America, these people, the Pharisees, were actually sitting in church on Sunday, right? Is that what I mean? Can you make that connection? These people dressed, they might have even worn a tie. Careful about certain items, issues, but no love for Jesus and no love for the people that Jesus loved. We better be careful that we get off our high horse about transgendered issues, right? We better be careful about transgendered issues and how America is going to hell in a handbasket. I'm not saying that these things aren't important, not true. But I tell you what, if we can't even speak the gospel to our own family members and our co workers and our neighborhoods, who do we think we are? I mean, we could point the finger and say, this is ridiculous. This is satanic. So what? What are you doing? Do you have a relationship with Jesus Christ that compels you to speak of him? To live for him? To separate? But also to communicate his love? I mean, Jesus is about to die for these very people. Have you ever had somebody spit in your face? And you turn around and give your life for them? No way. I'll take their life if you spit in my face, you know. And Jesus dies on the cross and offers full and free forgiveness for every one of these Pharisees if they would come to put their trust in him. Is that how we view the transgendered issue? That here are people that have rejected Jesus Christ, and when you reject reject Jesus Christ, there's only lies and foolishness to follow. But what am I going to do about it? Just, come on, I mean, how dumb is that? Or am I going to communicate what Jesus would communicate? A love for them that would desire them to be restored to their creator and find true purpose in Jesus Christ. If we're not careful, we just become religionists. And we are not compelled to follow our Savior. The hypocrisy of religion misses the amazing passover lamb so this is the passover this day is they were going to celebrate the passover feast that night and what are they doing it is so amazing that everything that the real passover remember back in egypt the real passover when they had to put the blood on the doors the death angel comes through and kills all the firstborn and israel is released from egypt and given that was all a shadow of something to come. It was all a picture of what was about to come. Every part of the Passover celebration was a perpetual reminder that one day we are looking, we are looking forward, that one day the actual Passover lamb will be here and he will be sacrificed for us and we will be free. And it's happening by their hand. Is this amazing? They had the Old Testament scriptures. They had the prophecies. And the true work of freeing men and women and boys and girls from slavery, not to Egypt but to sin and death, was being accomplished, and they were the ones sacrificing the Lamb of God. This is more than ironic. In fact... It stands as a great warning to religious people, a warning that you can practice the finer points of theology and miss the Savior. They would put us to shame in the knowledge of the Old Testament. And they missed the whole point. Look at Pilate, verse 29. If you remember back when we started into this chapter, we are noting how everybody rejects Jesus. His disciples reject him, the Jews reject him, and now Pilate would represent the Gentiles rejecting Jesus Christ. Verse 29, Pilate then went out unto them and said, What accusation bring ye against this man? And they answered and said unto him, If he were not a malefactor or a criminal, we would not have delivered him up unto thee. Pilate said, What do I care? Take him. Judge him according to your law. The Jesus said unto him, it is not lawful for us to put a man to death. Pilate was a real historical figure, as all people in the Bible are. He was a Roman governor between 8026 and AD 36. He is recorded as a historical figure in many secular writings. He had far-reaching authority in this region, especially in Jerusalem. He was known for keeping a tight hold on things and was in Jerusalem during the time of Passover because so many millions of people would have gathered in Jerusalem, and it could have become a hotbed for a rebellion, and so he's there to keep things under control. As we're going to see, Rome allowed the Jews to keep a lot of their culture, but not everything. Here we see that the Jews could not carry out the death penalty without permission from the Roman Empire. By the way, if the Jews had had the authority to kill Jesus, how would they have killed Jesus? By stoning. That was the penalty for blasphemy. And so we see that God is sovereignly controlled in all things. Pilate was known as a proud and cruel man. In fact, if you look and don't turn there, but in Luke chapter 13, verse 1, it talks about a time that Pilate came in and there were these Galileans that were not doing what he wanted them to do and he killed them in the temple and mixed their blood with the sacrifice, which had been a high offense for the Jewish people. He was a proud and cruel man. The the Jews hated Pilate. He knew the Jewish leaders well. In fact, in Matthew chapter 27, which is a parallel passage to John 18, it says that Pilate knew that for envy they had delivered Jesus. Pilate knew that the, the Pharisees had nothing on Jesus And it was only because they envied his influence with the people. They envied his ability uh, to proclaim the truth and to work miracles and his acceptance by the crowds. They envied that, and so they wanted to get rid of him. Pilate knew these things. However, Pilate was a pragmatist. He would do whatever necessary to keep the peace, even condemning Christ to please the crowd. And Pilate tries to stay neutral on the issue or the case of Christ. And there's just something we want to stop and say. No one remains neutral when it comes to Jesus Christ. No one. No one in the history of the earth can be neutral on the position of Jesus Christ. Pilate tries to do something that is impossible, and that is to remain. He washes his hand. That's not here in John 18, but as you read the passage in Matthew, he washes his hand and says, I'm innocent of this man's blood. Today, in this church, you will make a choice concerning Christ. You will answer to Christ for what you have done with the knowledge of Jesus. Today, you've either accepted your guilt as a lawbreaker, as a sinner for whom Christ died and paid the penalty for, for whom he now stands to justify us before the Father, or you have rejected his payment you will stand before God, the righteous judge, on your own defense. If you have broken any part of God's law, you will pay the penalty before God, the righteous judge. Where do you stand? There's, not, there's no like middle part. There's no, uh, uh, what do they call it when you don't, you, you could give witness without any, say, somebody said it. What's the word I'm looking for? Anonymity or immunity. immunity. There's no immunity when it comes to the case of Christ. You are either one of his blood-bought, saved children or you are standing opposed to him and you will answer to God for what you have done with Jesus Christ. So Pilate, they bring him to Pilate and Pilate moves out of his house to speak with them because they wouldn't come in. Pilate wants a formal statement of charge for which they brought Jesus to him. What is the accusation, he says? And the Jews evade the question because there's no charge. They hated him and wanted to kill him. And so the Jews act like a, an evasive teenager. Parents, you've ever done this where you ask a straightforward question and they're like, eh, you know. And all of a sudden, philosophy, theology, psychology come pouring out. This is what they do. Look what, what, look what he says here in John 18. If you go down to verse 30 or verse 29, he says, what, what accusation are you bring. They go, hey, if you weren't a criminal, we have brought him to you. That's not an accusation. They're skirting the issue because they know they have nothing against him. It's a total lie. And what they're saying is, Pilate, trust us. We wouldn't be here unless it was important. And Pilate is that pragmatist. He's that He'll play both sides of the equation as long as it benefits him. And so Pilate sidesteps proper judicial practice, and he says, "Okay, since you won't give me a clear answer, you go do what you want with him." And he knows why they're there, and they say, "Well, wait, we can't do anything. We can't kill him." And it it exposes the heart of these Pharisees. And I love verse twenty-two or verse thirty-two. Excuse me. Look at verse thirty-two. What does verse thirty-two tell us about this situation? It says, that the saying of Jesus might be fulfilled, which he spoke, signifying the death, he should die. These people, these Pharisees are hell-bent on destroying this man. And in their passionate effort to kill Christ, they work out the perfect plan of God. It's an amazing thing. This is our sovereign God. He is in control. And so many things about our day can cause us to say, What's going on? Why? And, and what do we do in 10 years? We look back and we go, oh, thank you, Lord. You knew what we needed. You knew how to provide. Help my unbelief. Listen to these verses that Jesus himself spoke in the book of John. John three fourteen. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. John eight twenty eight. Then said Jesus unto them, When ye have lifted up the Son of Man, then ye shall know that I am He, and that I do nothing of myself, but my Father hath taught me. I speak these things. John chapter 12 and verse 32 and 33, he says, If I be lifted up from the earth, will I draw all men men to myself. This, he said, signifying the death, he should die. In Matthew chapter 20, we have Jesus being very clear about how he would die. It says Jesus, going up to Jerusalem, took the 12 disciples. This would be... That triumphal entry, he takes the disciples apart in the way, and he said unto them, "Behold, we go up to Jerusalem, and the Son, of Man sh- the Son of Man shall be betrayed unto the chief priests and unto the scribes, and they shall condemn him to death, and he shall deliver him to the and shall deliver him to the Gentiles to mock and to scourge and to crucify him, and the third day he shall rise again." This is these people. I mean, they are working out God's plan perfectly. We look at him and go, how can people do this? And yet we have to step back and say, God, you're in control and you're actually working all things to your glory. Do you not realize that the hatred of the Pharisees that is that is just vitriolic and I mean spitting on them and beating him, they're gonna get ready to kill him. That was done for me. Without that, there was no salvation for Mark Rowland. God is working this out. To bring about my salvation as I read it. Though, you you know, if you're, if you're like me, as I read this, I start hating people. Like, how can people be like this, right? And yet recognizing I'm that person. Remember we studied on Wednesday what it means, thou shalt not murder? It goes beyond actually killing somebody to the heart. And if I hate somebody that Jesus Christ died for, I am a murderer. If I look at somebody and say, well, they, they deserve hell, I am the murderer. Jesus Christ is working out God's perfect plan. The words he uses, the, 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 the statements he makes at the right times, he is not trying to get out of crucifixion. It's almost that he's goading them into doing these things when you look at it from a different perspective. Listen, the Jews wanted to get rid of Jesus. Pilate wanted to be rid of the responsibility. Herod, Herod, they send him off to Herod. Herod, through violence, tries to pacify the crowds. And each one takes full responsibility before God for killing Jesus. They take full responsibility. And yet, higher than that, God is working his plan. It's interesting. This is all directed by a sermon. Take your Bibles and turn to Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4. Peter is preaching to these same people. And listen to what Jesus ha- or what, what Peter has to say in Acts 4.27. He says this, Who by the mouth of thy servant David has said, Why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? The kings of the earth stood up, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. For of a truth against the holy child Jesus, whom thou hast anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, and that with the Gentiles and the people of Israel were gathered together for to do whatsoever thy hand and thy counsel determined before to be done. Now you said that you go, Well, who are the who are the thys of verse twenty-eight? So Herod, Pilate, the Gentiles, the people of Israel, they got together and they did whatever thy hand had planned. Well, if you look up in the verse. It says in verse 26 that the rulers were gathered against the Lord and against his Christ for a truth against thy holy child Jesus. They are standing against God, and God says, No, actually, you're working out my perfect plan. Verse 28, for to do whatsoever thy hand and thy counsel determined before to be done. Now, we're getting ready to head into 2024, an election year. I know that you're probably just as excited as I am for all the politics. (laughs) You know, it's just so distasteful, right? And as we start to go through that, we can get caught up in this idea that we had better get a good guy in office if we're going to preserve our country. We better be careful. No good guy will preserve anything in this country. If anything positive takes place, it's because it fit into God's perfect plan. By the way, if we do have more of what we have now, where do you think that came from? God is not the author of sin. God never ordains sin, but in his sovereignty, he has a plan that can take anything from anybody and work out his eternal plan that was set before America was ever birthed. Before Adam and Eve came about, he had a perfect plan that included Jesus Christ dying on the cross for sin, and the rest of the nations will bow to his will, and they'll bring about the end of this globe in a way that God said, that's exactly how I planned it. And so as Christians, why do we get so bent out of shape when the world is the world? And here's the thing, if you're like me, I get, I will not listen to politics for the next however many months. And we turn it off, right? And it's not because I'm giving my time to scripture and witnessing. It's because I, oh, I, I mean, I really, I start to get into it. And then I'm like, it's like depression. So I just have to turn it off. But that's not the right answer either. The right answer is that we live in the world, but not of the world. And we give the answer to the world for life. Are you able to do that? Do you live in such a way that is hopeful? I mean, come on. In 2024, we should be the most hopeful people, regardless of who is on the campaign trail. And regardless of the poll numbers, which right? Poll numbers. Do you recognize this that actually when when we cross paths with people in our life, they should see the hope of salvation, Jesus Christ shining through no matter who's in office? But I tell you what, if we're not careful, we're just, pfft, oh, hey, maybe a conservative will win and help put aside all these trans issues and, and blah, ugh. right? How many times have we been around this track? Man always disappoints because man is a sinner. Tell you what, there is coming a ruler one day who will rule with justice and mercy and all the nations will bow before him. And he is perfect. And it's his plan. Amen. And we listen, as we read through this, this account, we need to rejoice in what our Savior is accomplishing on our behalf and at the same time put our trust completely in him for today and tomorrow. What love would endure such hostility to save my soul? The Jews are pushing hard not to stone Jesus as a blasphemer. But to crucify him with a Roman execution. Of course, Deuteronomy tells us that cursed is every man that hung on a tree. I wonder if the, the Jews were thinking this. He's got such clout, he's got such a pull with the, with the crowds. If we can crucify him, then we can use the old, we can use the scriptures of Deuteronomy against him to show that he wasn't from God. He said over and over again he came from the Father and he returned to the Father he was of the Father. He says that we're not of the Father but if we can get him on a tree, if we can hang him on a cross we can also say, look, he's cursed of God. I don't know if that was their thinking but it seems that they would use scripture in that very way. Pilate's Interest is piqued enough that he calls Jesus into his house. And Pilate then puts Jesus on trial. Isn't this an interesting thing? To see the creator of all standing before a guy named Pilate who thinks he's big stuff. Right? And he is going to put Jesus on trial. And so Pilate summons Jesus to give an answer before him. The truth is, is Pilate is on trial before Jesus and not the other way around. And it's amazing how people can hold the notion of God... And think that somehow they get to determine what kind of God they want. I mean, think about this. There's logic to it. This is what Sunday school class is about. If you're not there, come and we'll talk about it. The logic of Christianity says if God is God, then he's God. Right? And if a God is a God, who am I? Not God. So what do I get to ask God for? As far as a logical explanation. Nothing. I don't put God on trial. But you know, you talk to people about... Uh, uh, I was just talking to one of our teachers about this. She went and had lunch with somebody, and they said, Well, I don't believe there's a hell. Oh, okay. Well, that's nice. Who did you talk to about that? Because Jesus speaks more of hell than heaven. And he talks about it being a real place. And, and well, I don't believe... I, I don't want a God who will send people to hell. Did you just realize what you said? You don't want a God? You don't get to make that statement. don't choose our god if a god is god he's god and i'm his creation and i don't look at god and say who are you and why are you this way and why have you made me thus no and that's why when people say well you know you you give them the gospel and they say well what about the tribes that never heard the gospel and you say well i'm not a tribe that never heard the gospel i've heard it and now you have too what are you going to do with jesus well, what about, what about it? Well, I mean, if you read the Old Testament, God is just a bloodthirsty God that, that practices genocide and euthanasia and all sorts of horrible things. And Christians, they get, they go, oh, I don't, I don't know how to answer that. Wait, is this not God? Who defines right and wrong? Me? Well, that's not right, God. You can't do that. Huh? <clears throat> right. And this is Pilate. Pilate comes before Jesus and says, you justify yourself before me. And Pilate says, no, that's not going to happen. Or Jesus says, that's that's not how it works. say it like that. But I think we need to be cautious that we don't let people try to make us come up with a logical explanation of what is so logical, that God is God, and if he determines something, it's right. Do you know I don't need to defend the word of God? I don't need to defend it. I don't need to prove it. I just simply need to state it because it is the, well, what is the gospel? It's called the what? The power of God unto salvation. You know, I don't need to dress it up. I don't need to put on a fancy show. I don't need lasers and fog behind me to tell you the gospel. This is God's word. Believe it or not, but this is God's word. He says this is his power to to transform a life. If you don't like it, talk to him. But I think we we get so concerned about, man, if I could just, if I could make a nice little balloon animal out of the gospel, people will like it. Who, God, we don't need to do that. This is God's word. Here's God's word. Somebody, I I can't remember now, but somebody said the the gospel is like a lion. All you got to do is let it out of the cage. You don't need to defend it. Just let it go. God will never come before the bar of my judgment. You don't have to make Jesus a logical choice. You don't have to make Jesus an attractive choice. You don't have to appeal to the humanity of man. You simply need to give the true gospel and let the Holy Spirit do the work. No man comes to Jesus because he held Jesus under a microscope of his own judgment and found Jesus to be worthy of faith. That's not how man comes to Christ. God, by the Holy Spirit, through the word of God, works a miracle. It's a miracle of regeneration. God creates new life. And it defies man's logic. so where are you going to put your faith in your gospel witness in yourself in a colorful pamphlet now listen these are good things I'm not at all saying you should not be well versed in giving the gospel, but where is our faith I mean I this this is a true struggle of my own heart we'd have so we'd have evangelists come through Calvary and and we'd be praying, Lord use this speaker to Draw people to yourself, and then somebody that we're praying for doesn't show up when that speaker's here. And we're like, man, if they only would have heard so and so speak the gospel. What? That's not right. And in fact, one time we were having, we were in the gym, and a lady stepped out and she said, I want to know more about the gospel. I'm like, well, can you wait for the speaker to be done so he can talk to you? I'm scared to death. I don't want to mess this up. Wait a second. Who saves? God who saves. Is our faith in the word of God being used by the Holy Spirit to perform a miracle? Or is it how we can convince people? There, I mean, there was a church in town that put out billboards all over the place that said, Jesus, the log-, or isn't it logical to be a Christian? No, I, I, I don't know anything about it, so it could have been a very biblical program. But just the title, you know, is it logical to be a Christian? Well, I mean, if you believe the Bible, Absolutely. But what happens when you don't believe the Bible? It's foolishness. I have a passage to tell you that. I should quit talking and just let you read it. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Turn there. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Verse 18. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish, What? Doesn't sound very logical to me, right? But unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. The smart people say there's no God. The educated, the leaders, by wisdom they knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. The foolishness of preaching. Listen, it is up to God who saves. It says in verse 22, the Jews require a sign and the Greeks seek after wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. Under the Jews, that's a stumbling block, and under the the Greeks, it's considered foolishness. But unto them which are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For you see your calling, brethren, and how not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. Look, isn't it interesting that it says they're not called? It didn't say are not convinced. It says they are not called. There's a working of God that is miraculous that calls men to faith. And it's only a work that God can do. God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, and God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things that are mighty, and the base things of the world, the things that are despised, hath God chosen, yea, the things which are not, to bring to naught the things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. But of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God has made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification. And redemption that according as it is written he that glorieth let him glory in the Lord. you see Pilate stood before Jesus and would think to put Jesus on trial and have Jesus prove to him who he really is and the world seeks to do that. but Christian we don't do that we, Live by faith in the word of God because he has done a miraculous work in our hearts. You don't need to convince anybody to be saved. Let the Holy Spirit that Spirit, do that through your gospel witness. That's why you don't have... To, oh man, I, I mean, I, I don't know how to say it. What if they ask hard questions? What if God works a miracle and uses you the foolish of this world, to confound the wise? And what if he uses your testimony and your lifestyle and your gospel presentation, though it may be imperfect, to save a soul eternally? I can't tell you how thankful I am for so many people who didn't wait to perfect their gospel presentation. They just spoke it and lived it. And God used it. There are no excuses, Christian. If we recognize what's happening here, we should recognize that we go out to give forth something that is so powerful because the gospel holds the power of God unto salvation. Who is that person in your family that you are scared to death that if you give them the gospel, they'll turn away from you and never talk to you again? That's not biblical that's fear of man that brings a snare you say but i i don't i want to keep that door open yes we're to be harmless as doves there should be tact there should be kindness but i tell you what there's one thing that is very apparent when you are motivated by love it changes the game you remember your parents when they disciplined you did you ever recognize the difference between Discipline from anger and frustration versus discipline from love. That discipline from anger and frustration caused bitterness. And yet if it was generated by love, regardless of the, what it was, you were able to receive it in a sense, and now you appreciate it. Listen, do we, are we motivated by love in our presentation of the gospel? It's interesting, and, and we're going to end our time here. We won't go on, because there's a whole wonderful section on the kingdom of God that we weren't going to get to today. But look what happens here. Look at Jesus' response in verse 34. Jesus answered him and said, Sayest thou this thing of thyself, or did others tell it? Did others tell thee of me? So, so here comes this man. He's, he's beaten, he's bruised, he's worn out, and he goes... Actually, the Greek, the Greek presentation is, you are the king of the Jews. You, you are the king. You don't look like a king. And Jesus says this, did you say that because of yourself or because someone else told you? Why would Jesus say that? It's interesting. Say this of thyself, Pilate, do you think that I am a threat to Caesar? Pilate, do you, do you see a threat here? Am I a threat to Caesar? And, of course, the truth is what? Jesus told people to pay unto Caesar what is Caesar's. He lived under the law of not just the, the Jews, but the Roman. He lived in obedience to the laws of men. Right? So what would what would Pilate's answer be? No. I know you're not a threat. He's got tight control of the area. He knows this Jesus figure's been out there, and he knows he's not a threat. Or did others tell you? So that would be the question... Are you the Messiah? Are you the king of the Jews? And of course, what is Jesus' response to that? Yes. Yes, I am. And that's why Pilate says, am I a Jew? Your people brought you to me. What have you done? And we'll stop our, I hate to do it, but we'll stop our time there this morning. Jesus then opens up this amazing teaching on what is the kingdom of God and what kind of a king is. Jesus is, and I hope that you will be here for that as we study what Jesus says here in John chapter 18. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes, and I would just challenge you this morning, as we have opportunity to see Jesus standing before Pilate, who is Jesus to you? What do you see? What do you understand? How does it change you when you see the loving creator of all, undergoing such, such hatred, but then recognizing this was done for you. What do you do you do, Christian, when you recognize that God truly is in control and there is nothing to fear? The Bible tells us don't fear those who can kill the body. Fear the one who can destroy the body and soul. Fear is another word for worship. We are to worship our God, recognizing who he is. And I'll just say this. As you come to know Jesus Christ, there is a hope and a joy that nothing can take away from you. Believer, have you put your faith in Jesus Christ? Are you a religionist here this morning who is going about things, but when it comes down to it, your faith is in yourself. The call this morning would be come to know Jesus Christ as your Savior. Recognize your sin, recognize his payment for your sin, and trust in him. Our Heavenly Father, we rejoice as once again we see you in the Scripture as that suffering servant, as the pure Lamb of God, as our atonement. Lord, I pray as we continue through this gospel of John, that you would cause us to to love you more. Lord, we pray according to John, that these things would be written, that we would understand these things so that we would have life and have it more abundantly. That we would believe on the name of Jesus Christ. Lord, help us this morning to believe that your gospel is powerful. That no man stands as your judge. That we can go forth and speak your words with great confidence and authority. Recognizing who you are and the fact that you are bringing all things to your intended purpose. Oh, Lord, forgive us for our fear and our shame. Forgive us for hiding the gospel from those who are lost. Lord, give us a heart and a burden and an unction to go forth and speak the gospel to all who you bring across our path. Help us to see our Savior high and lifted up. For we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.